Let's pray. Father, give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil. Father, feet that want to run with obedience. Open up our hearts to you, Father. May we walk out of here with greater hope, with a decision for you, encouraged, and knowing how much you love us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So just to give you guys um, a quick update, I know many of you guys were praying for me. You recognize I was not here last Sunday. So I'll try to make it as quick as possible so that I don't have to answer all the questions before or after church. So basically what was happening is last Wednesday, or two, like two and a half weeks ago, I had some chest pain, and my heart rate elevated to like 150s, 160s, freaked me out. I talked to my lovely nurse and my personal nurse, <laughs> and I said, hey, personal nurse, this is what's going on. She said, you talk to me that way, you're just going to sit there and die, boy. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm sorry, Macy. None of that happened. But... My heart was racing, and I got dizzy, and it was elevated, and um, I talked to Macy about it, and she was asking a bunch of questions, and she decided, based upon her emergency room experience, that I was not having a heart attack. She said, relax, and then by the time I went to sleep, my heart rate ended up stabilizing, and that was two and a half weeks ago. The rest of the past two weeks, my heart was fine. On Wednesday last week, I'm sitting here in the office, and my heart did it again and uh, freaked me out because I'm thinking, like, no one's here? I'm going to have a heart attack in the office, and I'm going to be found dead. <laughs> so the kids were still here, uh, our preschool, so I stood up, and I went out to the lobby to where, like, what well, if I at least stroke out, a kid might see me. And they'll be like, oh, someone's sleeping on the floor. <laughs> someone's sleeping on the floor. Be really quiet. The one-time kids would be quiet, right? As foam comes out of my mouth. <laughs> Maybe that's too much. I'm sorry. Either way, it freaked me out. I had to talk to Macy. I talked to Macy, and she ended up saying, hey, I think you need to go to the doctor. So she was at work, so ended up going to the doctor. Two EKGs came back a little abnormal, and um, they said go to the cardiologist the next day. I went to the cardiologist the next day. They gave me a heart monitor, and I had that for 72 hours so that they could track what my heart was doing. And then I planned on preaching Sunday, but Saturday night I had another episode to where my heart elevated, and the last thing that I wanted to the last thing I wanted to do is come in here on Sunday morning and then just not be able to do anything or throw myself into another episode. So then um, Stu and the elder, other elder, <laughs> the elders and Mark, they all kind of came up with a plan for Sunday service. And thank you guys for that. So then um, the cardiologist felt like I was fine and he wanted to see what was going on. And then Monday, I had headaches, left arm pain, chest pain. And I'm just like, I think I'm having a heart attack. I haven't had any x-rays. It just elevated heart rate again. So I called Macy, and uh, she was at work. And I'm like, hey, this is what's going on. So she talked to some doctors, and they felt like I should go into the ER. 
So I went into the ER. They did the whole kit and caboodle. Um, they said, no heart attack, no stroke, no blood clot. Um, but we don't understand why your heart is still doing what it's doing. They did um, x-ray and um, couldn't find anything. So praise God, right? My heart rate's still weird, but I at least can have confidence that the pain, the left arm pain and the headaches is not a stroke, a heart attack, or a blood clot. So thank you guys for praying for me. I have an appointment Friday with the cardiologist to figure out, um, to continue to press into what's going on. So uh, thank you. There's the update. Now we can talk about Buckeye sports or Jesus after church. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) All right. So we're continuing through the book of Acts. This week we are in Acts um, 25 and 26. So if you have your Bibles or your app, you can turn there now. So what's happening here is Paul is before Festus for his trial. Festus was willing to um, grant Paul's appeal, but he was un uncertain about the um, charges that he would put against Paul. So what he ends up saying is, Agrippa, King Agrippa, I would like for you to kind of help me make a decision. Once again, as we've seen through Paul's trial, is he's permitted to speak in front of people and appeal or defend himself. How many of you guys have ever put been put in a position to defend yourself? Okay, I'll ask the question again. How many of you guys have ever got a speeding ticket? How many of you guys tried to come up with some kind of excuse? I always try to think, I heard about that excuse. I always try to think of like, who might I know on, on the patrol? Or what sheriff might I know? And it's just like, it's never going to work. So either way, I've tried to come up with excuses. They never, ever, ever work. Today, Paul is going to present in front of King Agrippa, and that's where we find ourselves. Acts 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began, and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as a make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So Paul is standing before King Agrippa, whose family tried to kill Jesus as a baby, whose family beheaded John the Baptist, whose family killed James. So when Paul's here, I'm sure he has to know that maybe he would be considered somewhat in that same direction, wouldn't he? Scary place to be, a place that I wouldn't want to be in. So it seems like this is going to be some, some really good fun, right? But who, who was he really sharing with or testifying or 
um, defending himself against, it wasn't just King Agrippa. Um, So we have to go to Acts 25 to find out who the rest were. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice, or Bernice, came from great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers, the prominent men of the city, and a command of Festus, Paul, was brought in. So you had Agrippa. He was the king. You had Bernice, Bernice. And what's interesting about her is she, um, she was the king's sister who was the oldest daughter of Herod Agrippa I. She was first married to her uncle Herod, and after his death, many people have suggested, based upon my study, that she was living in a sneaky relationship with her brother. So they suggested that she was incest. So there was a lot of weird stuff going on within this family dynamic. And what's going to be interesting, I don't think we're going to get there today, but here's why that's important. At the very end of this chapter, I'll just go there real quick. At the very end of this chapter, um, Agrippa and Festus have this opportunity to respond to Jesus. And here's what Agrippa says, sitting next to his sister, who he might be living in an incest relationship with. Here's what he says, verse 28. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long time, I pray that God, not only you, I pray that God, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. So Agrippa didn't like that he had to make a decision so quickly but he also probably didn't like to make that decision when he was living in a weird relationship with his sister. And the people that you hang out with often cause you to not be able to respond to the gospel correctly, right? Or people stir you up in such a way to respond, you, uh, to, uh, respond appropriately. So what was unique in our marriage class, the last night we had to pray together. And you could see Macy was not there that night. So I escaped the awkwardness, but Macy and I would pray together and we would have been fine. But what you could see is how it can be really awkward in a public setting to pray with your spouse, right? It would just be awkward. Any in the marriage class feel like that was a little awkward? Yes, thank you, thank you. I know it was for you, Big Ray. And Ray's getting closer to me today. He's loving the preaching. (laughs) Please do. Point being, the point why I brought up that Agrippa may have been in this weird relationship is the people that you hang out with can um, influence the decisions that you make. Nevertheless, Festus was there. Festus succeeded um, Felix as the Roman governor. High-ranking military officers were there, and prominent men of the city were at this defense. So what do you think Paul ends up doing? Well, certainly he's going to share about how good of a man he is. 
Certainly he's going to share about all of his good deeds. He's going to defend exactly what he didn't do. He's going to prove by PowerPoint or by facts where he was, what he was doing, and how he was right. That's what I would do. If I get charged of a speeding ticket, you know what the last thing I'm going to go tell the judge? Well, here's how bad I used to be. Here's where I found Jesus. Because the trial or my speeding ticket has me talking about who Jesus is to me has nothing to do with the charges against me. Paul chooses to actually share his testimony during this time rather than defend himself. He actually makes himself look bad rather than defending himself. So here's what he does. He shares his testimony. I was brought up in Jerusalem, lived as a Pharisee, the strictest sect of Jewish religion. He was being judged for the hope of the resurrection, a promise made by God to the Jews. He was a zealous Pharisee. He thought that Christians should be persecuted. He would imprison them, both husband and wife. You guys remember that point, right? When he would imprison both husband and wife, it meant that the kids were left to defend for themselves. How horrible was that? He casted his own vote to put Christians to death. You remember Stephen? He stood before Stephen, and, and Scripture says that he cast his vote for Stephen to be stoned. He would punish them in synagogues, forcing them to blaspheme. He would hunt them down to persuade them in foreign cities. Now you're standing before the law. Why would you say any of this? Like, why would you talk about people that you murdered? Why would you talk about people who, that you would separate parents from their kids? Why would you do that at a legal trial? Some might say, Paul, you're comparing apples to oranges right now. What does any of this matter? And what I see as we've gone through the book of Acts is that Paul looked for every opportunity to share about Christ. Amen? Several years ago, we were on a missions trip up in Cleveland, and uh, we, brought, we probably brought 70 kids to Cleveland. And while we were up there, uh, one day we had a break. So we took the kids to um, Cedar Point. I don't ride roller coasters, so I get to be the dad who carries all the handbags and oils and chapsticks and monies and whatever. So then what I say, since I have to carry them, you're keeping them in the car. Make it easy for me. Nevertheless, our junior high pastor at the time, he always looked for opportunities to, to share about Jesus. And, and what we ended up calling it is finding a way to get in with someone sideways. It's like you don't just go up to someone and be like, hey, man, you need Jesus. You might get hit in the face. But what you do is... You might relate to people about, I really like your shoes, or, or teach me about driving a truck, or what's it like to be out 
on a truck or tell me about the Browns. And you start talking about the Browns. So what we ended up doing this day is we went to play the hammer game. What's the hammer game called? No, like the big hammer where it's got to hit the bell. Is it whack-a-mole? No. Um, the gonna impress your girl game and win her a bear that nobody wants. That's the game that the junior high pastor wanted to play. So we went up there, and we had a friend. His name was Silky. And we said, Silky, why don't you, why don't you play the game? And Rob paid for it. So Silky hit it. Ding! He won. He paid for a junior high kid. Hit it. Didn't win. And he said, Joey, I want you to play. Hit it. Won. So now, we're ha now I have to carry more stuff, right? I'm like, why did we play this game? So Rob looked at the guy and he said, since we've played your game, will you play a game with us? And I'm like, oh, I know what's going on here now. I know why we paid 20 bucks for $2 little bananas with dreadlocks. <laughs> <laughs> Not making the story up. <laughs> now I get it. Rob didn't care. Rob didn't care about the banana. Rob didn't care about us even playing the game. What Rob cared about was the person who was leading the game, overseeing the game, and he wanted us to have an opportunity to speak Jesus into his life. So what Rob said, and he's like this tall and this round, and, and he said, hey, looked up at me, he's like, let's pray for this guy. So he looked at the guy and he said, since we played your game, will you play ours? And the guy's like, I don't know what that means, what does that mean? He said, we believe in Jesus and what we would like to do is we would like to pray for you. He said, well, sure. So we close our eyes, we put our hands on his back, and we're praying for this man. And what I saw in my mind, it was strange, is I saw what appeared to be a family member sitting on a couch. And then right beside her were these pillars. And she was, um, she was like holding up the house with the brother. And I'm like, man, that's really weird, isn't it? I don't want to say that. I don't even know this guy. I'm going to appear to be some freak. So it just kept on increasing and increasing and increasing. So I ended up finally saying it. And I said, hey, I feel like, and I described the picture, I feel like there's been finances in your life that have not been well, that this job is providing for someone within your family, and that you and what appears to be your sister in your life are the pillars of your family. And tears started to fall down his face. And he started to cry and he started to talk about how his mom was sick and she can't work and providing for the family. And then I saw a piano and I just felt like, God, you're in this moment. I feel like you're saying that music is an outlet for him. So I said, I just feel like God wants to reveal that he loves you and, and you know that I know nothing about you, but piano is an outlet for you. And the tears just increased. And he walked away saying, God's real. God knows me. 
Don't we all need to be identified by God in that way? Like, we do. We want that. And many of us in this church have had a similar or uniquely different encounters with God. But here's the thing. I don't remember the guy's name. I remember the game. I remember where it was at. I'll probably never meet him again. But the tears made it all enough for me. Him saying, I know that Jesus is alive and he loves me was enough for me. And what he, and I guess this, what Rob did is he saw every opportunity as an opportunity to present Jesus. Shouldn't that be what we do as a church? To be able to bring hope and encouragement and life to people, to believe in God in such a way that we say, yeah, you're, you're real. So what we did is we got in sideways with that guy. We played his game, we entertained him, and then we asked him, can we play, will you play ours? And he was encouraged. Here's what I want to tell you today, not in my notes. You too, everyone in this room as a Christian can bring that kind of hope to non-believers. God has given you that ability to bring hope and peace to this community. If to any community that we represent. But if we want to see Mechanicsburg changed and West Liberty changed and West Jefferson changed and Catawba and London and Bell Fountain, I was going to say West Liberty again, so West Liberty. If we want to see those places changed, we can't keep on just wishing and we can't only pray. There has to be confrontation. And the confrontation doesn't have to look with us picketing Jesus out front of simple comforts. We don't need to tell people that they're, you're, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. What we can do is just see Jesus in the light of every opportunity Every breath that I take, I'm willing to represent him and pick up my cross and die to him. Challenging? Yes. Will Jesus be with you? 1,000%. So for me, I love that I can relate with sports or whatever. You guys have heard some of my stories. Oh, you're looking for a vacuum. Will you represent Jesus in every way? And that's what Paul's doing here. Is Paul's not trying to defend himself and say, hey, you know what? Let me get out of jail. Let me do everything I could do to get out of jail. What Paul's saying is, since you're in the room, let me talk about Jesus. Imagine if this congregation had that same attitude even with just their family. Since I got you here at Thanksgiving, and we haven't eaten yet, so I know y'all not leaving. Since I got you here, let's talk about Jesus. Or what about work? Since I got you here, let me talk about Jesus. Don't, don't let the fear keep you from sharing 
the hope and the good news of Jesus. Quit thinking about it as a responsibility or an obligation, but think about it of this man over here who was set free and come to know Jesus that day. Amen? That, that's the goal. The goal isn't for you to become an evangelist and, and to start your own ministry or blah, 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 blah. The goal is for you to identify with the Father and how much the Father sets you free and how much he loves you in such a way that you're willing to share that with another human being so that they can encounter that same love. Right? Are you guys with me today? Because I feel like I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're responding. <laughs> so I'm just trying to make sure that it's just not me up here on my high horse. Paul looked for every opportunity to share Christ. Is it scary? Yes. Horrifying. But you know what? One step forward. One step forward. One step forward. One step forward. That's all I can do. One step at a time, taking risks with Jesus to try to find an entryway so that people can be set free and no longer live in sin and death. Will you do that? Not out of an obligation. Not because Jesus is looking at you telling you thumbs down because you won't share his gospel. But because... You want people to be set free. Acts 26, 9. I'm going to share um, what Paul was saying. Here's what he said. I too convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He's telling how bad he was. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief, chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death... I cast my vote against them. Many times I went, to, um, went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. He was obsessed with hunting them down. So why do you think Paul describes his past in his testimony? Because Paul is laying the foundation of who he used to be without Christ. You start to see his setup. This is who I used to be before I met Christ. He's showing that he was once very extreme in his Jewish living. So he's not much different than them or he's maybe even more devout than they were. He too fumed with anger towards Christians. Paul honestly paints a horrible picture of himself and his past activities. Again, I'll say it. This is really unique to present this style of defense when you're on trial. I would like to think he would want to share about how good of a person he was. But Paul's perspective in this moment was this. I'm not on legal trial anymore. This isn't, this right here isn't a legal trial. And you know what I want to tell you today? 
you're not only, if you've given your life to Christ and the blood of Jesus is over your life, you too are no longer on legal trial. Amen? Can we be excited about that? I'm no longer on a legal trial. Does sin matter? Yes. Do I still sin? Yes. Can I earn my way back to heaven? No. Does the blood of Jesus serve as the atonement for my sin? Yes. Therefore, the blood of Jesus allows me not to be on the trial of hell or death anymore. Paul knew in this moment that he's not on a legal trial. How did he know? Well, Agrippa told him. Acts 25, verse 12. Sorry, Festus told him. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, you have, a, uh, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. So in this moment, Paul's realizing, I can share about who Jesus is because I'm not done here. I'm not done in this moment. I'm not going to be put in jail. I'm going to Caesar. So what does that mean for you and I? Paul considers this to be his testimony because he's looking at every opportunity to share about Jesus. So what does that mean for you and I? How different could our lives be and the church be and the community be and the world be? And I'll say this. I told the men's breakfast who came yesterday, I'm not convinced that Jesus is done with this nation and you can't do anything to tell me anything differently. Jesus is not done with the nation. You know what you do if you want to trick someone? You start... You start telling them to, to back out. You know when you, when you are going to face an enemy that you know is going to defeat you, you try to convince them to not be in the battle. Because if they're not in the battle, then they can't win. What Satan and what the enemy has done is he's spoken that there's no hope for the church in America and the church in America is buying it so they're backing out. We're literally backing out of the battle. And God's like, no, the, battle, the battle's already won. We've won the battle. And what Paul knows here is he's not done yet. And what I'm here to tell you for this church and for you as individuals and for America is God's not done yet. Don't stop. He's, 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 he's not done yet. So imagine how different everything in our lives can look if we saw every opportunity as God's not done yet. I'm on trial, but I'm going to Rome. So I'm going to preach because I'm not done yet. I'm at work, but I'm on my way to heaven. Heaven's the end goal. I'm not done yet, so I'm going to preach. You're not done yet. I'm at school, but I'm on my way to see Jesus one day. I'm not done yet, so I'll preach. I'm at my neighbor's house. I'm at the block party. I'm at the ball game. I'm at home, and I'm not done yet, so I'll share the good news of Jesus. Paul understood in this moment that he was not done yet because he was going to see Caesar. So instead of defending himself, 
he talked about Jesus. Imagine if we saw every moment with every person as an opportunity to share about Jesus. And you know what? That's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Because then you feel like you're going crazy. Well, I walked into Speedway. Was I supposed to talk to four people? And then when I was pumping gas, was I supposed to talk to four people? And then when I hopped in the car, I made eye contact. So was I supposed to show people my WWJD wristband? You could go crazy. So maybe not every person. I guess imagine if we brought up Jesus with just 25% of the people that we interact with. How much different the American church could look. Amen? So I challenge you to apply that this week. Share with someone this week about how your life has been different since you've encountered Jesus. Paul recognizes God can use his past to reach others with the gospel. All of Paul's life, past, present, are in his tool belt to be used as God sees fit. And what I recognize is the older I get, um, God use, has used everything in my life to help start conversations with people about him. So, my childhood, my athletic career, education, silly things that I say, um, more silly things that I say, thoughts, attitudes, hard times, health. God has used everything to provide me an opportunity to speak to people in their life about who he is. So when I talk about my athletic career, I can talk about some success that I had, but then I can talk about where I saw Jesus in every moment of it. And then I can talk to them about theirs. And then you can say, what good is it to win a state title but lose your soul? It's no good. Everything God, everything God uses in our lives to help us talk about who he is and bring glory to his name. Let's continue. Paul ends up continuing to share his testimony, so I'm going to read it real quick. Verse 9. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many times I went from one synagogue to another to have punished them, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down. You guys have heard that. We're going to continue. Verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now, get up, stand on your feet. 
I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will um, see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And here's what he says. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins in place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. So Paul encounters Jesus. We've heard, we've heard this testimony. But after this encounter and after Paul gives his life to Christ, God demanded a response. God, there's no way that God can save you and you be born again and I think you remain where you were. Being born again and giving your life to Christ always leads to something. You, you, you can't just remain. So it's leading you somewhere. Paul's leading was, <clears throat> Paul's leading was this to open up the, um, the eyes of the sinners, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan, so that they may receive the forgiveness of sin in a place among those who are sanctified. That's what Paul was to do, to preach about those things. And guess, guess what he said? So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient from, to that vision. I did it. So point number two today would be this. Repentance can be demonstrated by what you do. Paul shared that Jesus confronted his sin, then immediately called him to be obedient to him. Be sent to the Jews and Gentiles to open up their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, turn them from the power of Satan so that they may receive forgiveness and to receive an inheritance as God's people. So immediately after being born again, God called Paul to do, to do something with it. How many Christians get born again, put their faith in Jesus Christ, and never do anything? I don't have a percentage on that. Rhetorical question. Let's say never. But let's say just in 2020, 2020, how many born-again born believers only serve themselves and never think about someone else? Haven't considered anyone other than their family. They never do. Paul said, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Do you think that Paul was any more prepared for what God called him to than what God has called you to? I'll try to say that again. Paul was not more prepared to do what God called him to than you are prepared for what God has called you to. You realize that? So we can't live under the lie that, well, Paul, Paul was just so special and he was just super prepared. No, God used the qualities that he had and then used those. And then Paul was scared. He didn't like it. He had apprehension. 
but he said yes to God. The only thing that Paul did probably better than many Christians is say yes and trust God. He couldn't force those things to happen. He just said yes. He truly feared God. He truly trusted God. And you say, well, he had an encounter with Jesus. Scripture says all throughout, draw, uh, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Those who seek me will find me when they seek me with their whole heart. If you're missing that encounter with Jesus, there's nothing wrong with you. But keep on seeking him. Keep on knocking. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and that door will be opened unto you. Keep seeking. Keep seeking. Keep seeking. Nevertheless, God's called us all to do something and we're not ill-equipped. I want to push this point a little bit further. Paul urged people to demonstrate their, by, their repentance by what they did. Demonstrate your repentance by what you do. Doing is important because it demonstrates your repentance. You say, where do you get that from? Well, I get that from Acts 26 verse 20. Here we go. First those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all of Judea. And then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Demonstrate your repentance by your deeds. Your repentance can be seen by the good works that you do for others. Isn't that an interesting perspective? I thought I was just doing deeds just to do deeds. No. When you do good deeds out of overflow, when, when good comes out of your heart, when you're willing to have hard conversations with random people at a park or put yourself in an awkward position at Walmart or a tire shop or wherever, that's demonstrating that you're saying yes to Jesus and you trust him and you fear him. You're demonstrating that he alone is God far above you and you're willing to say yes to him. Right? Are you with me? Amen? When I say yes to Jesus into good works, what I'm saying is I trust you and you're far above me and I'll follow you into these things. I think that your changed heart is often revealed in your actions. Simply put, um, obedience and actions reveal your heart. And two weeks ago, we discussed knowing and doing goes hand in hand. Paul um, addressed his sin, he repented of it, and he immediately started to demonstrate his changed heart by the things that he's done. So I guess this is what I'm really saying, is if we're not or if we've never demonstrated by serving, by loving, by trusting God at a new level, what I'm really proposing to you to ask the question to you and to your family members is this. Have I really repented and is Jesus really my king? Are you with that? 
if I'm not, I'm not saying be the evangelist, I'm not saying this, I'm saying if you're not demonstrating surrender to God. And what I said yesterday at the men's breakfast is God's going to call you to more internal yeses than he's ever going to call you to external yeses. And that, that obedience is often deep within more than it is ever expresses itself outwardly. Paul addressed, he repented, he demonstrated by what he did. He revealed that he had a changed heart. And that's what he's sharing with King Agrippa right now. My heart was changed. And I did it. I had to be obedient to that more than what I grew up with. And what Paul was saying reminds me of several times in Scripture where Jesus says, follow me. These people met Jesus and then immediately demonstrated a heart change by following him. Immediately followed him. Someone once said, it, takes, it took me 15 years to forgive someone, or it took me 10 years to figure this out. No, it took you a moment to forgive someone. It took you 10 years to decide to get to that moment. Right? It takes a moment for you to follow Jesus. One moment! For you to say yes with your heart. One moment to follow him. It takes a lot of people a long time to consider that. These people that we're going to talk about encountered Jesus and immediately followed. So immediately there was, there was following in deeds and in action in their life. Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went from here, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. That's what he did. Follow me? Okay, I got up and I followed. Simple. Mark 1, 16 through 18. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. At once they left their nets. They left their livelihood. They did it. What are you waiting for? What are we waiting for as a Christian nation? What are we waiting for as a Christian community or communities? What are we waiting for? Jesus is asking us to follow him. Jesus is asking us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for to open up our Bible? Mark 2, verse 14. As they walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. You realize all these people were man, sinners, people who were not perfect. But there were people that, that when, Jesus, when they encountered Jesus, they said yes to him. The American church keeps on encountering Jesus 
And then they, they keep on asking, well, where were you? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? They're just not ready to leave things behind, right? We're not willing to leave behind our, our popularity or the way that people think about us. We're not willing to leave behind our pride. We're not willing to leave behind anything, our agendas, our preferences. We want to hold on to those things. So when Jesus says, follow me, we say, no, because I still have an opinion. No, because I still have a preference. When we encounter Jesus and we say yes to him, it requires an action. And their action in this moment was to follow him. Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Pretty good request, isn't it? Practical request, fair request. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. We've talked about this. I'm going to preach it real quick again because I don't know if you remember. That's a fair request. Jesus, my, my dad just died. Let, let me go bury him. Jesus said, no, you're going to follow me. What are you going to do in that moment? That's where America is right now. We have all these practical things that we need to accomplish. We're full. Everyone in this room right now has something they have to do after church, and if they don't get it done, they're going to be stressed out. And I would say these lists keep on piling on lists of things to accomplish, whether it be sports or ball games or remodeling or meeting with this person or doing our taxes or, 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 or. And what's happening is all these ors are separating us from God because he's saying, follow me. And we're saying, but I got this to do. Our yes to Jesus requires an immediate response. Let's continue. Still, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Another fair request. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. When you say yes to God, you have to say yes to God. Have to take that step. John 10, 27. My sheep... Listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. John 12, 26. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Doing, action. Last one, and then we're wrapping up. Matthew 9, 21 through 22. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I don't want to go away sad. Who wants to go away sad in here? And what I rhetorically ask to you is how many more days do we want to go away sad? I can't afford walking away from Jesus anymore. 
This nation can't afford you to walk away from Jesus anymore. Your family, your kids, your loved ones can't afford for you to walk away from Jesus saddened anymore. I believe that when God saved you, set you free, and made you his child, he gave you a purpose like Paul. Not Paul's purpose, but he gave you a purpose. Many of you have dreams. Many of you have plans. But you feel unqualified or unprepared to do them. My question to you is, how can you be unqualified to do what God has created you to do? You can't be. Paul is taking this opportunity to share about Jesus. And what he's saying is, look, demonstrate your love for Jesus by the things that you do. I'm not pointing a finger because if I did, you know what it says. I got three coming back at me, right? Don't hear a heavy finger being pointed today. But what I think would be good for you is to go home after church or this week and reflect what are my actions saying about Jesus and am I really following him to the places that he wants me to go? Can we take a quick survey real quick? How many people in this room feel like God's put someone on your heart that you're supposed to uh, talk to? You just haven't done it. I'm raising my hand because that's me. Thank you. Amen. Others of us, maybe we're too busy, maybe we're not seeing things. Maybe, maybe if God hasn't put someone on our heart, maybe we just need to go to our neighbor. Maybe we need to go to our coworker. Maybe we need to go to our family member. We can't live in that guilt anymore, can we? God is too good and loves people too much for them to remain where they are. My action, so my doing of following Jesus suggests a heart change. If you don't turn from your sin, then what do you have? I can recognize that I've turned from my sin based upon some things that I'm doing. Now, to clarify, Joey's turned into a works pastor, right? No. It's not about works. It's not about boasting. It's about an internal heart change that overwhelms you that you have there's just something in you that almost possesses you that you have to share with people that you have to love people and if you're not at that place where just something overwhelms you then we want to pray with you today recognize that in your life and be willing to admit it i'm not there yet but i want to be So this week, what do we need to do? We need to ask God how we can dive into action. Amen? God, how can I dive into action? I don't have all the answers for you right now. But your time of prayer, your time of reading, your time of time spent with Jesus will help bring those into um, fruition. So what I wanted to do is, let's just close our eyes for a moment.
So if, um, if you want to be a person of greater action, it just says, God, I want to be used by you. I don't know how to be used, but I want to be used by you. I want to say yes. Then I just want you to stand up and then I'm going to pray for you guys. Father, I pray that um, you would help us see every opportunity as an opportunity to share about you. Every opportunity to just talk to people about how good you are. Give us ideas, give us thoughts, help us learn, help us grow. Help us not carry that guilt of when we fail and we don't do it. But Father, I pray that you would increase your Holy Spirit with us this week. To give us the boldness and the courage to just take one small step. Not even necessarily leading people to Christ. Just telling people how good God is to you. Or how thankful we are that you are the one and only way. Protect us as we leave here, Father. Give us unique opportunities to speak with our family members and people we bump into at the restaurant. Bless us this week, Father. Man, stir us up with great boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. Bob has one more thing. So after Bob's done, you guys are dismissed. Okay, Catherine would like to sing a song for you. No. Really, <clears throat> what we want to do is we want to end the service with the doxology. So the, uh, we're going to have the words up on the screen, I hope. And we will have the worship team, where they're at, amongst you, lead us in the doxology. And then after that, you're dismissed.